0: Welcome to the Best of the Left Podcast, with clips today from Ring of Fire, Tom Hartman, and Godless Kinser from the Watch It Burn Podcast.
1: Bobby, you know we've handled some controversial issues over the years, but I don't think we've hit anything quite as controversial as the uh, storm that you've started with your Rolling stone magazine and the and the couple of shows that we 've done about voter fraud we've been inundated with telephone calls and emails, and I think what people really want to understand is what type of lawsuit we're trying to fashion here. So I want to interview Matt Schultz, who's an attorney, by the way, with our firm, who's actually fashioning one of the Key Tam
2: cases that you and I are bringing. Yeah, and it's the firm of Levin Papantonio in Pensacola, Florida. And we are looking at a number of these cases right now all over the country against various parties who are engaged in different kinds of fraud.
1: Well, Matt, let me ask you, there are many different types of lawsuits that we've heard knock around to be able to contend with voter fraud. We've heard the term writ of mandamus, writ of prohibition. We've heard injunctive lawsuits that all the time we're thinking, well, that's going to stop the process. Explain what a few of those are. What what are the traditional ways that we've tried to go after uh, stopping this type of activity, especially with corporation involved in potential voter fraud? What have we done in the past?
3: Well, the main thrust of all three of those legal procedures, Mike, is to try and have a state official of the executive branch, typically the secretary of state, ordered to take certain action or or to cease from acts that the secretary of state is undertaking for example there's a suit filed recently in colorado asking a court to order the secretary of state not to permit any electronic voting in the state of colorado for various reasons based on the colorado constitution colorado laws We are fortunate in having people who are, I think, commonly known to most people as whistleblowers.
1: Well, before you go there, let me ask you this. I mean, Bobby, you've seen this time and time again with the... Public citizen cases you've brought. The problem with injunctive relief or mandamus or prohibition type writs is it all comes down to politics. How do you bring injunctive relief with Blackwell, for example, in Ohio, or what do you do with the organizations, the Republican organizations in Florida? How do you get Jeb Bush to do anything with those types of things? You don't. They they won't respond because it's all about politics. So you have to move outside of that political realm, and you have to go at them a way that they. They don't have much control over. That's where Bobby and I and this organization are heading with, with KETAM actions. Uh, explain what a KETAM case is.
3: Sure. As I said, the common person out on the street probably isn't familiar with the term KETAM, but they are with the term whistleblower. What we have are a set of federal laws and state laws in certain states that basically say, look, if you're working inside a corporation and you know of fraudulent misrepresentations that are being made by that corporation in order to get public money, federal or state, and you come forward with that information, then the U.S. attorney, in the case of the Federal Key Act or the state attorney general under state laws, has a right to review that lawsuit and bring that lawsuit if the U.S. attorney or attorney general declines to do so then the individual has the right to pursue it on behalf of the government.
1: See, now that's where it gets interesting to me. You see, you get around the politics in a lot of ways because let's say the U.S. attorney says, no, I got a call from Alberto Gonzalez. Alberto doesn't want me to go forward with this case. Or say in Florida, uh, the attorney general gets a call from Jeb Bush, says, I don't want you to go forward with this case. If he passes on the case... And this is where it's a little different. This is where the rubber really meets the road because, you know, Bobby Kennedy, this certainly this law firm, we've been involved in huge lawsuits for a long, long time. It gives us the right to stand in the shoes of the U.S. attorney or to stand in the shoes of the attorney general
3: and go forward. That's exactly right, Mike. We're unfettered by the political process in bringing these TAM cases in that respect. We can press forward. There's an incentive for the whistleblower to do so because they receive a portion of any of the proceeds that may be awarded for the fraud that the whistleblower has revealed to the public.
2: And, Mike, just for the curious in our audience out there, KITAM is the abbreviation for a longer Latin phrase. KITAM pro domino, rege quam pro sic ipso, in hoc parte sequitur. That's Latin. That's the language that President Bush thinks people speak in Latin America. <laughs> And it means who is well for the king, as for himself sues in this matter. And what the meaning of that is that the person who is suing is suing on behalf of the taxpayer and the nation.
1: Yeah, and I think I think to understand what Keytams about, it, it's real simple. Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War. Found that corporations were selling guns that didn't work, shoes that didn't have bottoms in them, and food that was contaminated. So he put together these false. He put together the process of being able to bring false claims acts for taxpayers having to pay for that type of thing. And the law has been around since then. So now it's just a matter of making it work on behalf of voters all over America. Matt, what type of settings has the Ketam case been used in in the past?
3: Probably most commonly in Medicare fraud is one that you will hear often where a hospital is is billing Medicare fraudulently and someone in the clerk's office brings these allegations to light and then the hospital will have to pay damages. Interestingly, under the KETAM Act, the federal law, you get treble or triple damages. So the defendant can be made to pay three times uh, the actual damage that they caused to the government.
2: That's a huge amount of money in this case because under the Help America Vote Act, which was passed by the Republicans, the Help America Vote Act, the pretext for passing it was to reform the defects in our electoral process that had led to the catastrophic results in the Florida election, the national election in Florida in, in the year 2000. The Republicans hijacked the bill and made it essentially a welfare program for Diebold, and three other voting machine companies, all that have strong ties to the Republican Party. They appropriated in that bill $300 million, which is then handed over to states and localities, the counties, boards of election. And they use that to buy these machines. The law is written so that the machines that are most likely to win the bidding process are Diebold machines. But Diebold has made a series of false claims to electoral boards and to the federal government and to others about the performance of its product. It says, it claims, for example, that they're unhackable when we now know, and Diebold has long known, there are many ways to hack that system. So the elements that are required to bring one of these cases successfully is a inside whistleblower who knows some kind of false statement that the company has made in order to obtain a federal benefit and that the whistleblower has not yet disclosed this information to the public. That's one of the problems with bringing these cases, correct, Matt, is if the information is already in the public forum, then the citizen plaintiffs are excluded from it bringing the case and you have to rely on the U.S. attorney to bring it.
3: That's right, Bobby. And that's one of the reasons that filing of these cases is necessarily shrouded in secrecy. Uh, You don't have the typical courthouse step press conference uh, type arrangement when you file a key TAM case. It's kept secret even from the defendant while the U.S. attorney has the opportunity to review the suit and decide whether to pursue it or pass on it. And once it comes out from under seal, it can then be discussed publicly.
4: story of, in my opinion, the last, well, frankly, at least the last half century, arguably the biggest story since World War II, has been whether or not the elections of 2000 and 2004 were stolen, and I would toss 2002 into that pot as well, were stolen by the Republicans. and, And if so, how? And if so, and we know how, why it has not been investigated or looked into. Stephen Freeman, and Joel Blyfus have written a new book called "Was the 2004 Presidential Election Stolen?" Subtitled "Exit Polls, Election Fraud, and the Official Count." Uh, st- uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Freeman, you're, you're one of the computer scientists, or one of the statistical. Sci- you you, de- you describe yourself for us here. I do.
5: Yeah, hi. I teach um, research methods at the University of Pennsylvania, so you know I have some background in in all the related fields of politics and statistical analysis and. Um, And uh, engineering and computer science.
4: So, yeah. yeah. And and Joel Blyfus is an editor of In These Times and an investigative reporter and columnist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Philadelphia Inquirer, Dissent, Utney Reader, and and other publications. So, um, Stephen and 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 welcome Joel to the program. Glad
5: to be here. Yeah, it's uh, terrific to be here. Thanks,
4: Stephen. I'm I'm curious as a as a uh, mathematician, statistician, as a scientist who who knows how to look at numbers. What's wrong with the 2004 election?
5: Um, yeah, it's almost hard to, hard to know where to begin on that question, but we can, we can begin with the exit polls. Um, as most people know, the exit polls did in fact project a carry victory on, on election day of 2004. What few people know, because the story was so unreported and, and misreported, is the magnitude of that. Discrepancy. It was it was an enormous discrepancy. Bush won the election by the official count by about three million votes, um, and uh, a, a very narrow electoral vote victory. But uh, by exit poll indications, Kerry won the election by something on the order of six to seven million votes. Uh, a discrepancy of about nine million votes nationwide. And
4: out of the, about a hundred million people who voted
5: hundred and twenty million people one
4: hundred twenty million
5: and uh, would have won a decisive electoral victory Ohio Nevada New Mexico were all were all carry victories well beyond polling margin of errors and uh, several other states including Florida and Iowa he um, was projected ahead, albeit by a much more narrow margin
4: so here's the question Joel Blyfus if It looks like one out of ten, roughly, or maybe one out of eleven votes in the United States was flipped or stolen in some way. How is it possible that that could happen without somebody coming forward and saying, yeah, I was part of the conspiracy?
6: Well, I think uh, one of the big factors in 2004 was that, uh, for the first time in our history, uh, 64% of voters voted on... uh, either uh direct recorded electronic voting machines or an optical scan systems and uh, this is as a result of uh, have of the Help America Vote Act which uh in sort of is asking the country to move away from punch card systems but a report by the general accounting office in 2005 said that such systems have such uh have lacked security and they contain flaws that could quote could allow unauthorized personnel to disrupt operations or modify data and programs that are critical to the accuracy and integrity of the voting process.
4: Right, It could. But again, the question: if this is the result of a conspiracy, and it would almost have to be, if you if you see state after state after state where the exit polls showed that Kerry was winning and Bush, in fact, won. If you have if you have thousands of reports, and I know in, there there are actually tens of thousands of reports of people who have. Said that they walked into electronic voting machine booths, they pushed the carry button, and the machine said essentially, thank you for voting for George Bush. The Bush button lit up. Uh, these kinds of stories. And the vast majority, I mean, some mind boggling percentage, and Stephen Freeman probably knows the the numbers on this, um, of these, of these so-called errors fell to the side of Bush, not to the side of Kerry, right, Stephen?
5: Uh, Yeah, those numbers have never really been compiled systematically. Anecdotally, what you say is is true, that the overwhelming number of of stories you hear about that, uh, something on the order of 95 to 100 percent.
4: Okay, so if if that's the case, that would certainly imply a conspiracy, which brings us back to the question, Joel Blyfus, how could such a conspiracy function without being outed, or has it been outed and it simply hasn't been reported on?
6: Well, I think that you, have, you have two factors to look at, one here. One is that uh, these electoral systems are uh, centralized. They rely on, uh, these voting systems rely on software and programs that we have no sort of control over. They can be um, accessed by uh, insiders, uh, manipulated, and so it would take a relatively small number of people to uh, pull off something like this by tampering with the voting uh, software. Um, and then I think when I also have to look at the larger context of the election, and this is, goes for 2000 as well as 2004, the uh, huge numbers of reports of sort of organized quasi-legal and illegal uh, vote suppression. Now, this is particularly true in Ohio, which has been very well documented that uh, under the leadership of the Secretary of State, Kenneth Blackwell, who was also the co-chair of the Bush-Cheney campaign um, – It was a very concerted effort to decrease uh, vote in the Democratic area. This
4: is what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. documented so well in his Rolling Stone article a couple of weeks ago. 350,000 votes stolen, the vast majority of them actually by good old-fashioned Jim Crow techniques of of, uh, switching around polling places and not having enough voting machines or... Or uh, pulling people off the polls and, and, and uh, the, the strategy of the Republicans, having people uh, register to vote, and if they checked the Democratic box, they threw away their registration, these kinds of things. Yeah,
6: exactly. I, and we had I mean, there's this report by the Democratic National Committee um, that found that uh, African Americans, new registrants, and younger voters uh, were those who experienced the most problems. And in fact, uh, twice as many African American voters as white voters reported experience. Voting problems. Voting. VWB,
4: Voting While Black, the new crime in America. Stephen Freeman, you were going to say you wanted to jump yeah, in Yeah, I was here.
5: going to add a little something to that, and that um, I think uh, Robert F. Kennedy did a terrific job documenting um, all these votes that were suppressed and, in some cases, votes switched. But these were the ones that were more easy to document, Um, The ones on electronic voting, of course, there's no audit trail at all. So those you cannot really prove in any systematic way. Uh, The exit polls measured, they, they do not even account for all the votes that may have been suppressed. It's only the people who've overcome the hurdles of registration and actually believe they've cast a ballot.
4: Well, except that those, the exit polls also include people who showed up, were told that they weren't on the list, they cast a provisional ballot, they left thinking that they had voted, and then when those provisional ballots were tabulated, they didn't find their names on the rolls, and so they got thrown
3: away.
5: Uh, yes, it, it may have included some of those. We're not, we're not entirely sure. The, I mean, one problem with the exit polls is that it was a media poll, and, and their methods and processes are not very transparent. So we don't know the details of how... Those provisional votes may have been recorded.
4: Yeah. Now but here's the big here's the big question for both of you. I you know, we can go through and dissect the the theft of the 2004 election, or for that matter, the 2002 or the 2000 election, all of which I think that there's plenty of evidence for. Um, and 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 we've frankly done that on this program a number of times with a number of, of people. And and you guys have written a brilliant book about it. it was the 2004 presidential election stolen? Exit polls, election fraud, and the official count by Stephen Friedman and Joel Blyfus? What do we do? To prevent this from happening in 2006 and in 2008. What is being done? Is anybody organizing national exit polls, for example? Well, I Stephen think that
6: Friedman? there's. Or, I excuse
4: mean, me, Joel, go ahead.
6: One thing is that Representative Rush Holt, a Democrat from New Jersey, has introduced the Voter Confidence and Increased Accessibility Act, uh, House Bill uh, 550, uh, that would require the use of a vote, voter-verified paper record in audits and counts.
4: But doesn't that bill then allow for optical scan machines that could be just as badly corrupted? You just now have a paper trail, and you can still get around that the way that they did in Ohio? I mean, it seems to me like Rush Holt's bill might actually be the Trojan horse.
5: Yes, uh, it it may well be. And and this is the kind of problem that, uh, that you cannot simply vote your way out of or legislate your way out of. And the first step, really, in, in doing something about it is getting America to wake up to it. I mean, yeah. you and your listeners may be aware of this, but to 95% of the country, what we have to report is, is shocking, almost unbelievable news.
4: Yeah, Stephen. Friedman. And, and um, shouldn't, shouldn't we be organizing? We, we, we only have a few seconds left. Okay. Shouldn't, shouldn't we be doing like they did in the Ukraine? Shouldn't we be organizing right now? Uh, exit polls and, and putting together a system to publicize the results of those exit polls before the official results come out in 2006.
5: Yeah, I'm actually in the process of trying to organize something like that. It's a, it's a, it's a.
4: Is there a website people can go to to help you?
5: It's a large organization. Yes. Ah, uh, the I, I have a website on called electionintegrity.org, and it's uh, it's a pretty new effort. I put most of my effort into writing the book with Joel, but. But now we're focused on actually trying to do something about it. And, and yes, we are trying to put together not only exit polls, but other means for verifying the
4: election. Electionintegrity.org. A new book, Was the 2004 Presidential Election Stolen? Exit Polls, Election Fraud, and the Official Count, Stephen Freeman and Joel Blyfus uh, Pick it up. Check it out. Buy a copy. Read it. Pay, pass it along. Share it with 15 friends or more. Stephen and Joel, thank you for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Okay, Thank you.
1: We've been talking a lot today about the theft of the 2004 election and Bobby's explosive article that appeared in Rolling Stone magazine. Joining us now is Greg Palast who's been investigating the Republican election frauds since 2000. Greg's the author of the bestseller, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, and he's just followed up with a new book, Armed Madhouse. Greg, I don't think there are many people in the country as knowledgeable about you as voting machine fraud. Give us the quick rundown of the fact that you are absolutely convinced that voting fraud by way of Diebold machines is eliminating the democratic process in America right now.
7: Well, I'm going to let Diebold off the hook. They're a small part of the problem. We had 3.6 million votes not counted in in the last election, 3.6 million ballots cast and not counted, man. How is that? How does well, that it, it, they fall into a couple categories. And by the way, this is not Greg Palast, you know, getting the message from a black helicopter. Uh, you know, this is <laughs> or from Pallist, so, Some tablets uh, in a cave, right? You know, uh, you know the uh, you know, well, the cave is called the the Elections Information Agency and the Census Bureau. I used to be, uh, God, <laughs> God help me, I was a statistician once upon a time. Of course, investigative reporter, uh, which I, I believe is uh, illegal under Patriot Act three, but. <laughs> um, what we were, what we found in uh, this multi-year investigation, that there's just junk machines out there. I mean, you, everyone remembers the hanging Chads from two thousand.
1: Right. What do right. you think?
7: They went away in two thousand. Like they're like rabbits, Chads. They just multiply, <laughs> and we have some of the junkiest voting machines on the entire planet.
1: Yeah, but the very issues that you're raising, that we have antiquated voting machines, that uh, they've just been around too long, that we need to change the system, that's what's happening in states like Ohio and Florida, where you have the governors saying, hey,
7: we need these Diabol touch
1: screens, and, and they're yeah, fraud. But, yeah,
7: you, you know that trick. They say, we're giving you a complete choice. We shoot, you know, left leg or the right. And so here's what they do. Before the 2004 election, Ken Blackwell... Secretary of State of Ohio, he not only was Secretary of State wore that hat, but he had a second hat uh, as uh, co-chairman of the Bush reelection campaign, which is very difficult to wear two hats unless you've got two heads. Right. But this guy, uh, Blackwell's pulled it off here. handled both jobs very well because he actually wrote a letter before the election saying, if we don't change the crud voting machines in the minority areas of this state, we're going to have a massive loss of black votes. What happens is the machines don't record the votes or they jam up. They simply, you know, the votes are lost. It's called undervote. Mm -hmm. He wasn't warning. He was bragging. The ACLU sued him before the election. And he said, heh, the trial will be mid-November, two weeks after the election. Mm -hmm. In other words, he knew what was happening before it happened, and he made sure it happened. And in fact, what happened was our president uh, in 2002 signed something called the Help America Vote Act. And, and, you know, as soon as George Bush tells us he's going to help us vote, we better look out providing a lot of money to computerize the systems. Now, two things are happening. Number one, yes, you go to computer systems, which oddly cost 400% more than paper ballots with optical scanners, which have a less of a vote loss rate than the computers. So why would politicians spend four times as much for machines that don't work as well? Because in Florida, every time computers are put in a place like Broward County in black precincts, there was complete disaster. It's not because black people don't know how to use computers. They give them computers that don't work. They give them no technical support. They, they had no passwords given out. Okay. Let's tell be, me
1: Tell me about what we know okay. that wasn't found out by investigation other than just looking at what the documents say in various state voting agencies.
7: We know that we have 3.6 million ballots that were cast and never counted. That is a vote was mangled because there was a hanging chad so it wasn't recorded. Uh, a computer showed that the no vote was registered. Paper ballot had two marks on it and therefore was rejected. Now, look, that's only 3 or 4% of the vote. It's kind of unacceptable, but, you know, if it's random, if, you know, ballots mangle, it will always happen. You're going to get what's well, called uh, that, how,
1: how does it split up between non-blacks and uh, in blacks, for
7: ah, example? Well, now you got the game down. I took that to with the fellow statisticians at the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. I said, well, whose vote isn't getting counted here? Whose machines don't work? And lo and behold, if you are an African-American voter, the chance your ballot will spoil, that is, there's no vote for president or it gets rejected, the chance is 900% higher than if you're white. You, you look at the number of black precincts where votes are mangled, not recorded, rejected for some reason, And you look at white precincts, white majority precincts, and it's nine to one. What about Hispanics? Hispanics, it's at least five to one and 2,000 percent higher chance if you're Native American of losing your vote than if you're white. (laughs) In places like New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, and Arizona, that vote loss chose the president. We had purge of felon voters in Ohio by the tens of thousands. Now, you know what's interesting about that? It's not against the law for ex felons vote in Ohio.
1: But they were purged anyway. They were purged. Yeah.
7: Well, you know, we gotta take the felons off the voter rolls. People are always looking at that computer that's in front of you in the voting booth and, and are worried about that. That ain't nothing. It's the computers in the central voting places that you have to worry about. From the central tabulating machines, I have a printout that I've reprinted in, in my book showing certain precincts where you have the vote for Bush Cheney, you have the vote for Nader Cameho, you have Cobb and Lamarche. Excuse me. What happened to Kerry Edwards? Their just name is not in, in the totalling. Yeah, like Well, I okay. Think. OK, well, let me,
1: let me ask you this. You know, these claims that are coming out right now by whistleblowers who were saying that they worked for Diebold and they worked for some of these electronic machines, and they can tell you exactly how the vote was fixed. Why have the Democrats been so unwilling to show up in a place like Ohio and fight it out in Ohio, Ohio or, or Florida?
7: Huge. Let me tell you, there's blood on the floor. Within the Democratic Party over this one,
1: why? (sighs) Because I remember, Uh I remember a team of lawyers the Mm -hmm. day after the election prepared to go to Ohio to fight it out because it was. Called
7: me up and said we were told to stand.
1: Right, you know. right. And here's the question that I think most people listening would have to ask. What's going to be different about 2008, or what's going to be different even about the midterm elections in 2006, if the Democrats haven't already acted to kind of prevent this disenfranchisement?
7: The Democratic Party is still frozen at the switch. I mean, you gotta, you're got you going to have to ask those guys. I mean, they say the internal battle, I got to tell you, John Edwards was not a happy man. I had breakfast with him and, and Jesse Jackson. He promised those votes would be counted this time just before that election. He was the one who was very aware of the non-count of one million black votes in the 2000. Yeah. Black voters and
1: uncounted votes. Didn't happen by accident. Greg Palace, thank you for joining us. Thanks for the great work that you do. Catch you later. All right, thanks, Greg. I'm
8: crying, everyone.
4: Bev Harris is with us. She is the she is the big cheese over the founder over at blackboxvoting dot org, the author of the book blackboxvoting dot org, uh, the same name, and uh, an old and dear friend. Bev Harris, welcome to the program.
8: Well, hi, Tom.
4: Bev, uh, first of all, just a heads up. Uh, I'm at your website and I'm trying to click on buy this book, and it's not hotlinked
8: oh, you know what, we're only giving that away now. Isn't that terrible? And uh, (laughs) we're going to be coming out with a new edition. So that one, you have to Uh... scroll down to the right, and it's all free.
4: Yeah, I noticed all the chapters were there, yeah. and I thought, "Gee, everybody's going to be reading the chapters for free, and Bev's not going to get any royalties in the book." Well, that's that's great that you're. No, I it never
8: away. have. I never have gotten any royalties. So, yeah. but but the most important thing is to get the word out.
4: Yeah, well, speaking of the word, let's let's just do our update here. We we just actually were talking with Stephen Friedman and uh, Stephen Friedman and and his co-author uh, on the, the book of Was the 2004 Election Stolen? And that's you know a great look back at 2004. I'd like to look at what's going on right now what is the situation right now coast to coast and what what are you seeing coming down the road for 2006 and 2008
8: well you know we haven't fixed anything in fact we've just gone out and bought more of the machines the primary season we're you know in full swing right now and voting machines are proving to be unreliable proving to get bizarre results what else is new the only difference is that a lot more citizens are aware of it and so now um More glitches are glitches, more defects, more problems are being spotted. Just
4: just, just a quick question, Bev. Pardon my interrupting your stream of thought there, but um, the glitches, in quotes, or the problems that were reported by the thousands, by the tens of thousands in the 2000, the 2002, and the 2004 election. Almost always. I'm talking like more than 95 percent of the time were glitches that favored Republicans over Democrats, which obviously is a statistical impossibility. Is that what you're seeing in this primary election now or are they starting to are these problems starting to be a little more random?
8: I think that's premature to say that because we understand that we had 40,000 people out in the field watching for this, but they were all people who were pretty much mobilized by the Democrats and by progressive organizations. So the database um, may have been that, but the, col- the data collection was done by a somewhat partisan groups. So this time around, what we've got to do is something very different than what we did in 2004. In 2004, we got a lot of stories, and they were important, but what we need to do this time is get evidence. Evidence means photographs videotapes audio recordings and public records period we need stuff that will stand up in a court of law because it's all very nice to come out and say well you know the vote flipped I voted for this guy and the other guy got the vote or it showed up on the screen with the other guy. This time, bring a, a digital camera and take a picture of that screen, or take, bring an audio recorder. You can get them for thirty-five dollars. Uh, they're digital now, and record the transaction, the, the discussion with the poll worker, where you say, "Hey, it's going to the wrong guy. Can you help me fix this?" So you have evidence, because stories we're finding out really don't make change happen. That's amazing, because, that it happened.
4: because there are people sitting on death row all across the United States right now because one person said, well, so-and-so told me, or I saw. I mean, you know, the testimony of a single person is enough to put a person to death, but the testimony of tens of thousands of Americans is not enough to get the attention of the New York Times?
8: Correct, because it's political, and I say that in quotes. I'm so tired of hearing that. Well, it's political. So, you know what? What is not political is a videotape, an audio tape, a photograph. Uh, if you go and well, won't they say it's been photoshopped? Pardon?
4: Won't they say it's been photoshopped?
8: No, no. I mean, we're finding we're finding now that the TV stations, even network TV, they are picking up on the videos that we've shot. Remember, uh, we shot a video in Cuyahoga County in the, during the recount when they were doing an illegal recount after the 2004 election. Three people have been indicted because of that. That's what I mean by it creates real change, and that's still going up the ladder. By the way, there. Um, We shot a video in Leon County, Florida, when we demonstrated hacking the machine. We have been requested by one of the networks today to provide that video so they can air it on national TV. That's marvelous. This this is what I mean by evidence. Um, You have to, if if you see lines of people around the block, if you see police tape, get a photograph of it. It's important because... I can tell you, I know someone who was in election protection who went to Cleveland where they had lines around the block, and the person came back and said, well, there weren't any lines. They were very politically correct. And there were. And so it's important that we get something that nobody can argue with. And it's cheap. $35 will get you a little pocket digital audio recorder. You can get, uh, some cell phones will take pictures. And, and the great thing is a lot of these new devices, and we have a guide to them on BlackBoxFortune.org, they come with a disk so you can load it right into your computer, upload right. it immediately. But this is the kind of thing we're going to need come 2006. Isn't that sad?
4: Well it is but I think it's great that you're you're mobilizing a movement to do that. I I have to in fact I I am I'm sitting here shocked that it hadn't occurred to me before to to do this. Uh, you know and I've been talking about this for as you know the better part of 3 years um rather loudly and and calling for you know national exit polls and you know let's right. do something and let's organize something and and it just hadn't occurred to me that something as simple as get a media record particularly a video record i would think that would be the very Absolutely. strongest thing um, because the network television, really, if there's no video, it doesn't happen on network TV. That's
8: right. And there's one more thing. We have on blackboxvoting.org now organized the National Hand Count Registry. What that is is we encourage people to go there and volunteer to hand count if needed because the most amazing things are happening because election officials are claiming that citizens aren't available to hand count if needed. Hmm. In Cleveland, in the in the May 2nd primary, they had 17,000 votes that. That the voting machines could not read. They had paper ballots on these votes. These, the voting machines uh, just didn't work. So what did they do? Instead of calling in hand-count citizens because they said there were none, they punched them into touch screens. They hired someone to come in and push each one of the 17,000 ballots into a touch screen. In Riverside, California, it was worse. In California, there's a law that says if you don't trust that touch screen, you can get a paper ballot. The citizens who got paper ballots discovered that later on those paper ballots were not hand-counted, they were pushed into a touch screen. So we want there to be no excuses. One of the things we have at blackboxvoting.org now is you just push a button, sign up for it. Hundreds and hundreds of people are signing up for it every hour, and we want to be able to say – no, there's people who will hand count, and there's even people who will travel to hand count. Yeah. So you can no longer tell us that you have to do these crazy gymnastics gyrations. You know, let's count the vote.
4: Yeah. Let me toss in one other suggestion for you, Bev Harris. I, maybe this is just, you know, weird and off the wall, but, you know, I know at least two people who in the last year have bought a new video camera and already owned a video camera four, five, six years old. You know, and and they're and they're just sitting around. Yeah, you know, I mean, they have no, essentially no value. Yes. Somebody ought to create basically a clearinghouse. If you have we, a video we, we, camera, we've
8: done that. You thought of that? Well, you know, we have it on our donations page right now, and we just put it up yesterday. We said what we're going to do here is people, if they have extra video cameras, digital cameras, audio recorders, what have you, they can send them in, and then starting about August, we will start. Of course, we know which citizens are consistently out in the field, and sometimes they're people who happen to be unemployed and don't have a lot of money, and we can provide them with the tools they need to document and these will be people that we know will document because they have that history already so it's not just handing something off to somebody you don't even know I think that's so important because I know I just got a digital camera, the new digital cameras, by the way, for about $300. You can get one that will take photos and web-quality video, and you can just take this little card out and put it right in your computer and upload the stuff. Oh, so, yeah, it's amazing. So, for 300 bucks great. now, it's, it's what and you so, got of for course,
4: thousands of years ago.
8: Right. So, of course, you don't use the old one because the new one's so cool. And yet there are people who would use that, and we need to get out there and document. I think it is a sad thing that we are at this point where um, – it seems that nobody's listening who is in a position to really do something. But on the other hand, you know what? Uh, as, I, as I put recently, you know, perhaps this is Einstein's theory of democracy. We the people equals us. There you
4: go. Well said. Bev Harris of blackboxvoting.org, the founder of Black Box Voting, the author of the book Black Box Voting. Check it out, blackboxvoting.org right now. This is brilliant. Bev, thanks so much for being with us today.
0: We're
1: back talking about Bobby's blistering expose of the 2004 election fraud in his Rolling Stone article, Was the 2004 Election Stolen? We're getting covered up with emails. I mean, here's here's one. God is blessing you now. This is to you. Keep telling people what they can do. We're here in New Mexico. We may have paper ballots by November. When I first moved here eight months ago, I thought that Governor Richardson was a good guy until I read somewhere where he stopped the Green Party from doing a 2004 recount. I may vote for the Republican candidate who sounds honest, but the point is that people in their own backyards are noticing that something's different about the election process. For example, this one reads, Mr. Kennedy, I've read your article and wonder what we're supposed to do. I've sent letters to my representatives. I've protested. I'm at a point now where I believe that we're lost. We can't do anything. America died on November 2nd, 2000. I'm an African-American, so I'm well aware of the disenfranchisement process, especially growing up during the civil rights movement. All the emails are saying thank you. I mean, they're saying thank you for writing the article. It was great stuff. We wish that popular media would have picked up on it, but they won't. But we are getting the question, what do we do?
2: Well, we got to fight for paper ballots. These machines, every one of them, as you know, can be fixed, can be hacked. And some of them, for example, the Diebold machines can be hacked by any voter. Who goes into a voting booth with a special card, he can change the election results for that entire precinct. So we know they can be hacked, and a lot of people have said, well, the solution to that is to have a paper trail. In other words, the person who votes selects the candidates that he wants, pushes the button to register his vote, and a record of his vote is then spit out in a paper ballot. He can then take that paper ballot, read it to confirm what he put into the voting machine, and then put it in a box. And if there's a need to count the votes to do a paper recount, the paper ballots are there. And well, I, well let, I, me, I, let,
1: let me interrupt you right there because I've got to read this one. It's exactly what you're saying. I mean, there's no paper trail. This is an email from a woman named Kathy Williams. She says, my friend's husband put in his vote for Kerry in Marysville, Washington, on the new electronic voting machines and glanced away for a second. When he looked back to check his vote, it had been switched to Bush. He told the woman in charge, and she said that they've been having that kind of trouble all day, not just in Ohio. So what you're saying is, yeah, they can make mistakes, but go with a paper." Ballot,
2: right? Well, what I'm saying is, first of all, that episode that you just described happened thousands of times in at least 18 states around the country where people went in to vote on these voting machines. They voted for Kerry and then watched the machine in front of them switch their vote to Bush. There's almost no record of it going the other way, where it switched from Bush to Kerry. It always switched from Kerry to Bush. And there's literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have testified, who have told that story or signed affidavits about their experiences. What I'm saying to you now, Mike, is that even if we have a paper record, it's not a guarantee because. A recount only occurs under certain conditions. A recount occurs when the votes are within, usually within 3% or 1%, depending on the state, there's a mandated recount. Well, these machines can be fixed so that they can avoid a mandated recount, even when you have paper ballots. So nobody will ever count those paper ballots. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with these machines is that they they're just hackable. And we've just got to go back to the same system that they've gone back to in Canada and that they have in Germany and many other places, which is just paper ballots that are counted by hand. Yeah. Counted. Let me get you
1: to respond to this. Okay, here's another email. It says, I'm sure you're aware that there's been a pushback against the Rolling Stone article, including some liberal bloggers. There are three unspoken assumptions that you need to refute. One, that the choice is between saying the election is stolen and the election was not stolen. The real choice is to investigate whether the election was stolen or not. Two, that the burden of proof is on those alleging election theft. The real burden really is on the rulers of America to demonstrate that they're holding power legitimately. And, three, that vote stealing only matters if you can find enough votes to swing Ohio. Uh, if it's proven that Bush stole even one vote, or that an agent of his did that, that it's an impeachable offense. So so th- this person's laying, about, laying out, I suppose,
2: some of the issues that were raised in Salon. Well, that's right, and you can dispute the particular numbers, but what you can't dispute is that the Republican Party tried to steal the election. And that is a scandal, and it's a scandal that should have been published in the press. And I'll tell you what, people have written us, Mike, and said, what can we do? We've got to stop these machines from being used again. And Mike and I have been discussing for the last couple of days... About starting to sue some of these machine companies, and we're going to figure out a way to do it because we got to put these people out of business because they're going to steal our democracy.
1: Well, from. we're going to do it. I mean, that's the only way that you can that you can shut this down is you have to call Senator Chuck Hagel on the carpet. The well, see, CEO, explain
2: what Chuck Hagel is. Well, uh, he Chuck got Hay- Chuck Hagel
1: was he's long connected with the Bush family. He was caught lying about his ownership of ESNS, which is by the Senate Ethics Committee, and ESNS is one of the major. Two companies, right along with Diebold, that counts eighty percent of all the votes in America. So here you got Chuck Hagel, who has a dog in the fight. You've got the CEO of Diebold is a major Bush campaign organizer and donor, and he wrote in two thousand three that he was committed to helping Ohio deliver this electoral votes to the president next year. Bobby, what's happened since your Rolling Stone article is you now have people that have been working with these companies. They, I mean, way way up in the management. Management structure of the companies, they're coming forth, they're calling us, they're saying I was afraid to say anything, I was afraid to do anything. Now they feel they can come
2: forward. And i got to promise you, if you do come forward You, you call Mike or me, it, and it, we're going to sue these companies, and we are going to stop them from stealing our elections. If you work, I can pro- you work for the, one of these companies, you give us a call, and we'll protect your confidentiality and we are going to sue these companies and we're going to put them out of business and we're going to stop them from stealing our democracy. It's
1: the, the only way that we're going to accomplish anything so look this thing has just started for all those talking heads you say why did we wait so long they ain't seen nothing yet
9: your love, me higher, I've
0: ever
9: I just got the most recent issue of Rolling Stone magazine the issue with the article by Bobby Kennedy Jr. where he outlines all of the evidence that the 2004 election was rigged in Ohio to the benefit of George W. Bush. And I had been aware of a lot of this evidence since a few months after the election. And I have to say, seeing it all in one place like this is very, very disturbing to me. And the implications of it are horrifying. I would just encourage everybody to go out get a copy of this and read it and decide for yourself and uh, I think that you'll probably come to the conclusion that I have and uh, I just have to say if you're outraged by it and uh, as I am I would encourage you to do something go out and do something democracy means all of us voicing our opinion, making our will known and making it known that our government works for us not the other way around unless you're in a situation like mine where yes I work for my government but I also have a voice in elections that I determine who my bosses are and uh, in, order for, for, in order for democracy to function properly we all have to be active and if you read this article and you come to the realization that democracy has been subverted then you owe it to yourself, to your fellow Americans, and to your children and grandchildren to do something about it to ensure that it never happens again.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. So, I got a lot to go through today, so I'm going to be kind of quick if I can. First of all, uh, sorry about missing yesterday's show. Chalk that up to pure laziness on my part. I actually treated my Sunday like a Sunday, and uh, and didn't do anything. So that's why that happened. I know that about seven of you are really disappointed about that, and the rest of you couldn't care less because you don't listen to the shows live when they come out anyways. Um, first of all, first announcement, real important, Kinzer, Godless Kinzer, who you just heard from, has sent a message to all of the people in the Progressive Podcast Network letting us know that we should let you know that although he is a little bit delayed in getting his next show out, he does not believe that he is going to be shut down. So if you're waiting anxiously to see if he's got another show coming and when you don't see one you fear that he's been hauled away to some uh, black hole brig somewhere, Uh, rest assured he is still alive and well and plans on continuing to produce his podcast. So, on to other things. Um, The answer to last week's question, a couple of things to say about that. Uh, Thank you for those of you who wrote in about it. The consensus is essentially that... um, Of all of the things that Bush has done, this is one of the most trivial things to actually uh, ask about and and try to get more information on. I 100% agree with that. Uh, The only reason I did was because, like I mentioned last week, this is one of those things, it was just a rumor when I heard it. And and I was just curious, you know, total pure curiosity on my part, and I didn't feel like uh, doing the research myself. Uh, it seems as though, uh, f- because everybody sent me the same article, seems like it's possible that there's only one article that was written on the subject. And it confirmed what I said, that it, it looks like, although he's about the least worthy person to do it, he's the only person since George Washington to wear a military uniform while in the office of the president. So... Anyways, that's a interesting tidbit. I would like to react to some emails that I've been getting. I have uh I have a few and there's one uh just, well, let's uh find it real quick. Just an email I I don't have the name on it right now, but um pretty pretty standard email that I've, I've gotten from more than one person saying that I sound depressed about getting negative comments, or that, um, you know, I, I shouldn't be worried about getting negative comments, and if people write in nasty emails, I should, you know, just, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about it, and fight through, and all of that. Uh, so, first of all, if you sent me an email like that, or if you've had those types of feelings... Thank you for your concern. Here's the facts on uh negative comments. I fully encourage negative comments. I um when I have mentioned people sending in negative comments either asking you not to or asking you to you know be gentle with me because I'm so fragile. That was completely sarcastic. And um, I didn't mean any of it. And the absolute truth is that I have not received a single negative comment since I started doing this show. So I don't have anything to uh, let roll off my back because I don't get anything like that for whatever reason. And finally, last item on the day, I just wanted to talk about this email I got from... um, my very first stalker fan, and I'll explain why I think that she's a stalker in just a minute. But this is very exciting for me, this, this email I got, it, um, it blew my mind and my cover all at the same time. So I just wanted to address this really quickly. This is from Lisa, this is the same person who uh, wrote in last week saying that she was my number one fan. And she says, I'm not reading the whole thing, but she says, It actually is you that deserves credit for your terrific podcast. This is in reference to me saying that um, I don't really think that I get credit for the content of the show because obviously I don't make the content of the show, I just steal it. So she says, If I capture an incredible photo, do I give credit to the subject? Yes, some, but also to myself for being able to capture it so beautifully and share it with others. That it, it, that blows my mind because I am the type of person who will pretty much rationalize anything in any direction for any reason to make myself feel better about it. Like, um, I mean, usually it goes in the negative way, like, I'm being lazy, so I rationalize why it's okay to to be lazy. Usually it's not like, you know, I don't have to try to rationalize something to make myself feel good about something good. Like this show, I think, is something good that I do. So thank you to Lisa for giving me the perfect excuse to finally take credit for the show. And uh, I will absolutely use that excuse from now on. Now I'll, I'll just move on and explain why uh, Lisa is a stalker. The beginning of her next paragraph is, I'm not a stalker. I mean, come on. W- like, when you have to start explaining that to people, you know you're in trouble. So, uh, that's all I'm going to say about that, but I appreciate it anyways. Alright, that's going to be it for today. Thanks for your patience in waiting for this show to come out. Unless, of course, it didn't require any of your patience uh, to get this show and listen to it. In which case, um, thanks for nothing, I I suppose. Come back tomorrow and I just might post another one for you. Have a good one, everybody.